Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. So before we uh, look at Acts chapter 4, and, and as we continue this story of Acts, I just want to take you back to Acts chapter 1 for a moment. Uh, because in Acts chapter 1, the disciples ask Jesus a really important question. Before he ascends, they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And, and in typical Jesus style, his answer is somewhat cryptic because that's not really a simple yes or no answer. But, but that question acts as a, a bit of a lens for reading the whole book of Acts. Because Acts is the story of an emerging kingdom, a kingdom of wonder, a kingdom of surprise, a a kingdom that turns life upside down. And and we've seen over the last three weeks how this new kingdom emerged into the public square of Jerusalem with, with power and excitement. Accompanied with signs and wonders, God's kingdom broke into the streets and the alleyways of Jerusalem. And, and, and there was a buzz in the air. Something strange was happening in Jerusalem. The name of Jesus was on people's lips everywhere. And, and it should come as no surprise then that in our passage today, we see this emerging kingdom begin to clash with the powers and the kingdoms around it. Chapter four is a story of clashing kingdoms. And I hope that as we look at this story, it might challenge us to think through how we live with wisdom as the people of God in the public square where God's kingdom brushes against many other other ways of life. So let me pray as we, we come to God's word now. Lord God, uh, may you uh, speak through your word to us this evening. May your spirit be moving our hearts, forming us, changing us. May you settle whatever anxieties or or fears or worries are are lying in in our heads at the moment and give us a peace that allows us to focus and attend to, to your word now. Amen. So as I was preparing this talk i came across a new word uh, the word echo tone some of you might have heard of that word before but it was new to me and i found out that an echo tone is the space where two different biomes meet so like an area where a forest merges in with a grassland or a rainforest clashes with an alpine region and what's fascinating about these echo tones is that it In these in-between spaces, plants and animals from the two regions overlap and and coexist in a kind of tension. There's this pushing and pulling, a clash as the two realms vie for the ground beneath them. We might imagine Jerusalem as an ecotone in our passage today. Because Jerusalem is the place where two realms clash and tensions ignite 
as the kingdom of Jesus begins to take root. But what makes this tension even more intense is that these two kingdoms, they're not just brushing against one another at the edges, not just clashing on the borders, but this new kingdom of God begins to grow in the very heart of Israelite culture. A new message, a new name, a new way of life emerges as this new Jesus community begins to proclaim the name of Jesus and disturb the ways of old. Uh, it's important for us to understand that at this point in Acts, the church is mostly Jewish. The church began in Jerusalem and it's not moved far beyond there yet. It, these early believers were Israelites, Jewish men and women who came to see Jesus as their promised Messiah. And so in, in these days after Pentecost, people are, are talking. It's, who, who is this Jesus? Wasn't he killed? How are these miracles still happening? What if this Jesus is still alive? And so in this one city, then, we, we have two groups of people, those who follow the religious leaders of the temple and are still waiting for their Messiah. And those are the new growing Jesus community who are listening to the teaching of the apostles and are convinced that Jesus is the promised king. And so this Jesus movement is, is dividing Jerusalem as a new Israel emerges out of the old. So, so as we delve into this passage, we're going to focus on, on the points of tension and explore why this growing Jesus community both clashed with the leaders of Jerusalem and yet captivated the hearts of many Jewish believers. And so, and so the first point of tension that we, we see in the passage is, is the message being spoken by the apostles. This passage is a direct follow-on from the healing of the lame man that we heard about last week. But you might have noticed as we read through this passage that the religious leaders barely mention the healing that took place. It's, it's not the miracle that they're worried about, but the message that the apostles bring. But, but, but why was this message so, so troubling for them? Well, look at what Peter says in verses 10 and 11. He says this, know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Peter's not mincing his words here he, he's laying it out pretty straight there are now in jerusalem two temples two houses two kingdoms and the one who the people of israel rejected and killed jesus christ of nazareth has become the cornerstone or the, the foundation block of a new movement and its roots and vines are wrapping their way around the city, taking over the rotting tree stumps of corruption, pride and, and legalism and bringing new life. 
the power and name of Jesus has come to captivate the hearts of Israel and draw people back to God again. If what the apostles say is true, if their message is true, then the religious leaders are on the wrong side of history. The second point of tension is the name by which the apostles are acting and preaching. Notice the question that the leaders ask in verse 7. They say, by what power or what name did you do this? Luke uses the phrase, the name of Jesus, quite often throughout the book of Acts. And for, for Luke, this phrase is, is kind of like a, a bucket that he uses to collect all of Jesus' character and power and grace and authority into. So, so when Peter and John respond and say they are speaking and acting by the, in the name of Jesus Christ, they are saying this miracle was done by the living Jesus through the living Jesus, and in the living Jesus. A new name and power has emerged on the scene in Jerusalem. Yet this name should be a familiar name, because Jesus is the image of the God who these people have worshipped for centuries. But this name of Jesus has emerged on the scene, and this name is mightier than Rome, more gracious and compassionate than, than any lawkeeper, more holy than any temple priest, more powerful than any physician or doctor. The name of Jesus is a threat to the powers that be, and especially to the religious leaders, because they were the ones who had him killed. They were the ones who cried out, we have no king but Caesar. It's no surprise then that they command the apostles to not mention Jesus' name. By all means, go on with your miracles. Just don't mention Jesus. The third point of tension is that the words and the actions of the apostles are public and compelling. Their words are backed up by public signs and wonders that even the religious leaders can't refute. This Jesus community is out in the streets, worshipping in the temple grounds, inviting people to taste the goodness of Jesus. And as the apostles speak and act in Jesus' name, the people of Jerusalem are joining this new movement in droves. Look at what the religious leaders say in verse 16. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we, we cannot deny it. This new kingdom clashes with the religious leaders because it threatens their popularity and power. I mean, how embarrassing it must have been for them that the people of Jerusalem were listening to a couple of unschooled fishermen instead of them. But there was something compelling about this new community. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus was forming his church to be an alluring kingdom that would draw people in. Look at this description at the end of, of chapter 4. We, we didn't read this section, but listen to this description here. All the believers were one in heart and mind. 
No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's power was, grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. That's a compelling way of life. A way of life that confronts greed and pride and injustice. A way of life based on the humility that only comes from the powerful transformation of God's spirit. The religious leaders, they could never compete with something like this. They could try and silence it, oppose it, lock it up in prison. But unless there was a radical work of the Holy Spirit, they could never accept it. Their pride would not let them. So as this kingdom of Jesus emerges, it begins to change and shape this city of Jerusalem. A captivating message is spoken. A powerful name is proclaimed. A compelling way of life draws people to Jesus. And all around the city, new conversations and challenges arise as these two kingdoms and ways of life begin to meet and then overlap. And that sort of same kind of pattern continues to take place in our world today. Yes, we live in a very different time to the first century in Jerusalem. But God is still king. Jesus is still king and his kingdom is here on earth, bumping into and overlapping with other ways of life. So in the ecotones of our society where kingdoms and beliefs overlap, the push and pull of the gospel continues to compel and confront, to excite and to disturb. Sociologists today have a word for the communal spaces where people, ideas and beliefs meet and, and overlap. They call them third spaces. And perhaps you've heard that term before. A third space might look like the grounds in the temple grounds in Jerusalem from our story. But it also might look like a cafe or a gym or a sports club. It might be the hairdressers or the neighborhood Facebook group. It might be on the train or at the local park. One of the challenges for us as God's people, as people of Jesus' kingdom today, is, is learning how to navigate these third spaces with wisdom. Much of our lives are spent on shared turf where our role is to be ambassadors who humbly listen and courageously bear the name of Jesus. And I think this passage can be really helpful for us in understanding how to live in a world where the kingdom of God continually overlaps and bumps into other ways of life. So let's consider a couple of things that we might take away from this passage. 
the first thing I think we learned from this passage today is that third spaces really matter. As God's people, we need to be active and involved in the shared spaces of our neighbourhoods and our communities, whether we're in Springwood or Winmalee or in Southeast Asia. It's primarily in these places that people can interact and, and speak on level ground, where questions can be asked and ideas negotiated. It's in these third spaces that God's kingdom bumps into other ways of life. In the book of Acts, the apostles and, and the, the, the church, the newfound church, are intentional about living their faith in the public square. They go each day to the temple. They're out talking to people. And if you look through the book of Acts, take note of how much time the apostles spend in the synagogues and in the marketplaces. The kingdom of God is not a private belief system. Jesus' name belongs in the pubs and the cafes and the streets of Springwood and Winmalee just as much as it did in Jerusalem. But if Jesus' name is going to be there, God's people need to be there too. I, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school. I played in a Christian cricket competition growing up. I taught in a Christian school. And I'm thankful for all of those things and supportive of all of those things. But I have to be honest and admit that partly because of these experiences, I'm not used to living in third spaces. I'm hesitant and reluctant. I feel more comfortable when I'm with people who share the same worldview as me. But I, I've been really challenged by this passage. As people of God's kingdom, we need to be present in our community to trust that God's spirit will give us courage and the words to say, to, to pray that he might open up dialogue and conversation. What shared spaces are you already a part of? We're all a part of shared spaces in some way or another. Your workplace, maybe? The gym? A playgroup? A, a sports club? Whatever you might whatever it might be, how could you live and speak with wisdom and grace as an ambassador of Jesus in those spaces? The second thing we might notice from this passage is that the kingdom of God can bring joy and wonder in the shared spaces of our community. While our passage today has focused on tensions between the apostles and religious leaders, the dominant experience in Acts up to this point was that people responded to the gospel with joy and with wonder and with surprise. The description we get is predominantly positive. Now, we live in a very different time and place to the first century, and for the first century is not necessarily a reflection of how people will respond today. But I wonder if sometimes we're overly fearful of taking the name of Jesus to the world. If the, the thoughts and the fears of, the, of what might happen play around in our heads at, at, and become a barrier to us living faithfully in the public square. 
And I suspect that media, particularly social media, has actually given us a distorted view of how people with different views interact. But the reality is, I think, that very few people are actually as rude or opinionated in real life as they are on social media. And my experience is that when in face-to-face conversations, as long as I'm not being rude or arrogant, as long as I'm taking the time to genuinely listen to people, people are quite happy to talk about life and faith. And if someone becomes upset or angry, it's usually because they've been hurt by the church at some point in their life. And that opens a door to restoration, conversations of restoration. The people in Acts were fearful too. Notice how they pray for boldness and courage to live and speak faithfully. Perhaps we could be praying for one another to have this same boldness and courage as we negotiate the third spaces in our lives. Finally, our passage provides wisdom for us when conflict does occur. The message and name of Jesus will sometimes disturb and offend people, just as it did the religious leaders. The kingdom of God is not compatible with many of the idols that our society holds dear. When people encounter the kingdom of God, there will be times when kingdoms clash. But notice how the early church responds to their experience of conflict in verses 23 to 31. They begin by praising God. And after praising God, they, they, they trust him. They offer prayers of trust that he will work his purposes out even in the midst of that conflict and persecution. Then they sit down together, they pray, and they boldly commit to being in these third spaces as a faithful presence. They pray for courage. They pray for God's spirit to be at work in and through them. They pray that Jesus' name might be glorified. Maybe we need to spend more time as God's church, sitting down together, praying, and turning these kinds of questions over to him in trust. But as God's people, we're we're to enter into the life of our communities and neighbourhoods as people of prayer. We should be praying that the message of Jesus' kingdom might be met with delight and wonder. We should pray that we might listen well and be gracious in our words. We should pray that we might live compelling lives that point to the goodness of the gospel. That we would have courage as we respond to challenges and clashes. That God's spirit would be at work guiding us in wisdom as we seek to love our neighbours and share the name of Jesus. This world is an ecotone a third space where kingdoms overlap and clash until the day when God's kingdom fills the whole earth. And though we belong to the kingdom of God, and that is our home, much of our life is spent in a world where people, ideas, kingdoms and beliefs brush against one another. As people encounter the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus will amaze and astound people. His name will also offend and disturb. Let us 
pray now that God would empower us by his spirit to live a compelling way of life and to bear the name of Jesus well. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, we pray that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We long for that day where the goodness and justice and rightness of your kingdom fills the whole earth, where greed and corruption and injustice are no more, where we are changed and uh, we bear the name of Jesus in fullness. Lord God, in the meantime, we live in this world where we need your wisdom. We don't always know how to navigate the third spaces in our lives. We're clumsy with our words. We're arrogant and we, we trip over ourselves all the time. And so, Lord, we need your wisdom. May you guide us by your spirit to courageously bear the name of Jesus and to be humble and gentle listeners as we engage with the world and navigate these ecotones around us. Thank you, Lord, that we do not do this on our own. We do it together by your spirit with you present with us. Thank you, Lord, for our King Jesus. Amen.